podcast was recorded at Redemption Alhambra Village in Phoenix, Arizona. For more information about Redemption Alhambra Village, visit redemptionaz.com. As we're going through the book of Exodus, we as pastors are really encouraging you to read these texts outside of this room. Truly, it would be important for you if you're really wanting to see and have a revelation of the heart of God in the midst of all of this, you need to interact with his word outside of this room and begin to ask questions and dive deeply. There's ways to do that personally. We encourage you to do that in your prayer closet, times with the Lord. We encourage you to do that with your RCs, your redemption communities, to study the text together. Because there is so much richness there that you can begin to see God speaking to his people in very key ways. Last week, Pastor Wayne said something that I think is is really, really important. He talked about how Pharaoh represents a system and structure of idolatry. A system and structure of idolatry that is rooted around all of these plagues are an attack on the idols of the land, but right smack dab in the middle of the idolatry of this land stands Pharaoh, who idolizes himself and has put himself at the middle of all of his idols in order to justify and even sanctify the idols in which they worship. All of them are given for them to be able to find peace and life and hope. And what ends up happening is what they realize is all of those idols, all of those things before the creator, before God, before the true and only God are crushed and destroyed. As we can read a text like this, I want you to think about this. I think we instinctively can read scripture as Pharaoh did. Pharaoh said this, when he heard the word of God, he said this, who's God? You see, Pharaoh was used to being judge and critic. And so when God came before him, he was going to put God on trial. Who is God that I should listen to him? Who is God that I should be? So I want to know if I, the critic, the judge, am able to really Trust him. Many people, when they come to this section on the plagues, read this section on the plagues like Pharaoh. There are many people who say, I cannot worship a God who would do this kind of thing to people. Plagues and the killing of firstborn and all of these kinds of works and acts. How can he really be a loving God if he would act this way? How could he destroy Egypt? How could he crush their idols? How is it that this loving God could do this kind of atrocious thing? And and when we say that, I just want you to, to at least see and recognize you have put yourself in a position of a critic and God is on the stand. You have made yourself to believe that God needs to answer to you for his actions. 
Many of us read scripture with this lens. Let me dissect it. Let me try to understand it. Let me look at God through my lens and determine whether or not what he did is good or evil, which is what Wayne addressed last week. We have been declaring we are the ones who determine good and evil since the garden. But let me ask you this question. Not how would you read this from your position of on the judgment seat, but let me ask you this question. How do you think the Israelites read this story? Because I will tell you this, the Israelites, the people of Israel, have celebrated this event as their gospel story to this day. This is a gospel proclamation to those who have been enslaved and under oppression for a long time. It's one thing to look at history through your lens and look back at where you think you are and sit in a position of critique of going, is it okay that he would act this way? But what would it be like to be the one who was under oppression, who was in slavery, who was having your children being killed and thrown into the Nile, who were forced to work and labor and without straw and were beaten and abused and were put under oppression for hundreds of years, what would it be like for them to read about this God who would come and not spare any expense to deliver them? How would American history be different if it wasn't written by those in power, but written by those who are natives? I'll tell you, it's a different history when you listen to the native reencountment of American history. How would it be different if instead of telling American history from the position of power and privilege, if we listened to those who were enslaved for centuries tell their experience in America? How would it be different if instead of us sitting on judgment seat and looking at those who are seeking asylum, what would it look like to hear their rendition of what it's like to seek asylum? I'll guarantee you this. History sounds way different when you come at it from a position of privilege and power than it does from a position of slavery and bondage. The Israelites have read this story for centuries as a mighty act of God delivering them from oppression and slavery and bondage. And we sit and say, how could a God do such a thing? You see, many of us will watch movies and celebrate when the one who has been victimizing children and sexually, uh, uh, sexually perverted things doing to them in movies and uh, oppressing them and locking them in cages and bondage. And when at the end of the movie, the rescuer comes up and kills them, we go, yes, that's the right thing to do. We sit before God and say, how could you do such a thing? 
You see, it's different when you read the story from the bottom rather than reading it from the top. Here's why it's hard for us to read Scripture. We read it from a position of power, privilege, and financial resource. But Scripture was written by those from the bottom. It's history told from the slave. It's history told as their God who's rescued and delivered them. It's written from those who have been oppressed and in bondage. It's written by the poor and the outcast. It's written by ones nobody else would choose. It's coming from the bottom. It looks different down there. When you're the one being victimized, when you're the one being oppressed, when you're the one being pushed down, and one would come and rescue and deliver, you clap. But when you read it as Pharaoh, you judge who's God that he would do such a thing. You see, there's a difference. What would it look like for us to read Scripture through a different lens? Not through the lens of criticizing God. God, come stand in my courtroom. I'll read your word and I'll determine whether it's good or evil. What would it look like for you to come to scripture not as a critic, but listening as a worshiper? As one who worships the one true God. The one who comes to scripture to see the beautiful character and might of the only true God. The one who through his word reveals his character. We can see God's character. We can see his love for his people. We can see his power and commitment to his people. We can see that there is no enemy that can stand before our God. We can see a God who is patient, who is continually warning. We can see a sovereign God that no matter how many hard hearts and complaining people there are, this God will accomplish his purposes. We can see a God who takes a long time. A long time delivering and patiently deals with his enemies. But when he does, it's powerful. You can also be reminded that these people who sat and complained did not deserve this favor and this grace. They did not earn God's grace. But he graciously poured out upon these children, his children, his love and favor and he patiently continued to call them back to himself. You can see God if you come to him as a revelation of, I am a worshiper. Show yourself to me. I love you. I adore you. I see you. I may not understand you, but you are good. You read scripture differently. You see, what we should see as we approach Exodus chapter 11 and 12 is we should see it through the lens of a worshiper. So my encouragement to you today, my encouragement to us today is what would it look like to read Exodus 11 and 12 
through the lens of a worshiper rather than a critic. One thing you would see, we can't go verse by verse, but I'm going to pull out a lot of scriptures. One thing you would see is this, church. You would see you should worship him because his word is true and powerful. That's where you say amen. That's where the worshiper says amen. You would worship him because his word is true and powerful. I want you to look at a couple things. First this, now the Lord had said, here it is again, he said, I'm going to highlight these things. He said, said to Moses, I am willing to bring one more plague, one Pharaoh and the Egypt, and after you will let you go from here. And when it does, look at, look at it continues, this is all the things he said. What else do you see? And Moses said, this is what the Lord, uh uh-oh, man, I'm trying so hard today. And and this is, here we go, am I back? And Moses said, this is what the Lord says. Every time Moses speaks, he comes in from this angle, this is what the Lord says. About midnight it will go throughout Egypt. Every firstborn son in Egypt will die. Isn't it amazing that the first plague is dealing with a Pharaoh who is killing every firstborn son, every male child, and at the very apex of God's judgment after ten plagues, it's like you wanted to kill my children? Who is it? That is strong and powerful. Who is the one who is doing this work? How is he leading? He is leading by his word. Church, you have to see how powerful God's word is. If the Lord says it, it happens. Say that one more time. If the Lord said it, it happens. Let's start. With Genesis 1, God said, let there be light. It happened. Every time God speaks, what he says happens. When we act outside of responding to his voice, we end up like Moses trying to kill the Egyptian servant rather than saying, God said, the father said. This is what he says. That now you see Moses, instead of trying to do it on his own, he just goes, listen, God told me this. God told me this. And I want you to see that he told them this, and all of these officials of yours will come to me bowing down before me saying, go, and you and all the people who follow you, after that I will leave. Then Moses, hot with anger. I want you to see this. Moses was hot with anger. You remember that God said, Moses was going to be like me, and Aaron was going to be like a prophet. What you're seeing here is not just the words of God, but it is rooted in this anger, this true, righteous, holy anger against the rebellion of those who will not bow to his word. He has called them time and time again to repent, and because of the hardness of heart, you are seeing that God is not detached from his emotion here. It angers him that he has patiently and consistently done what he said he would do, and they still will not bow. His heart was hard. 
You see, God is a God of his word. We need to understand that the way people live is by revelation. We live based upon hearing his word. We are marked as a people of his word. We are led by the power of his word. We are empowered by his word, and we are trusted with his word. We are a people who are fed by the word of God. We don't live by bread. We live by his word. Church, I wish you would feast on the word of God. His word is powerful. Whatever he says is true and right and perfect. A worshiper loves his word. Next thing is this. A worship him because not only has he taken you out of Egypt, but he has taken Egypt out of you. I think I, think I missed a slide here. Let me look at the next one. I did miss a slide. Actually, this is my second point. My first point I'll fix in the next series. <laughs> Worship him because his deliverance is for those who are under his blood. Worship him because his deliverance is for those who are under his blood. You have to see that this whole thing is based upon the power of his blood. What he tells his people is this. The firstborn is going to die and this is the only thing that will rescue and deliver. And that is if you get a sacrificial lamb and if that lamb gives his life and his blood is spread out on your door post and that you celebrate this as the feast in which you should continue to eat day in and day out. He institutes this as this continued work that they should be doing. You see church what we have to see is that it is his blood that is our substitutionary work. It is the work of Christ and his sacrifice for us that has been substituted. We are a people who have not earned his favor. We are a people who worship the one who has given us favor. It is only because of his blood that we are washed. It's an interesting thing, and I'm totally lost in the slides, so I'll have to fix it on the next one. So just follow me, not the slides. I want you to hear this today, church. It's that there is a, a real important verse of Scripture that shows us that there were even Egyptians that had listened to the command to put blood on the doorpost and then put it on their doorpost. And when they left out in deliverance, they walked out in deliverance from Egypt with the children of Israel. Why? Because of the blood. Not because they were Israelite. But because of the blood. I think it's verse 38, chapter 12. 
And I want you to see that as you look at this, many people left because Christ has separated for himself a people and we are marked by the blood, the certainty of our worship should be resting in not our works, but in the work of Christ. Christ has come, and he became the substitute sacrificial lamb, and it is because of his blood that we can worship not just because we have earned this, or that we have because of our race, or because of our position, or because of who we are. We know that we are a people who are cleansed and washed and covered and delivered by his blood. Our boasting, our worship is not in our works. Our worship is in the one who gave himself and died for us. Can you say amen, church? The second thing you see in chapter 12 is this, that they not only were covered in his blood, but there was another feast that was instituted. And that feast was the feast of unleavened bread. And what that feast shows us, if you really dig into it, is that not only had God planned for them to come out of Egypt, but he had planned for Egypt to come out of them. You hear this? You see, the reality is they had been in bondage in Egypt, but even when they came out of Egypt, they wanted to go back into bondage. And the Feast of Unleavened Bread was them celebrating that Christ was not only removing them from Egypt, but he was removing the idols of Egypt from them. That they would be an unleavened people. And all of them would be brought out. Now I'm going to see if I catch up here. That we are marked as a... Oh, no, I'm going to skip. Here we go. Worship him with long... Oh, here we go. We are marked as a people who have two things here, church. We are marked as a people who, one, are covered by the blood, and two, are filled with the very Spirit of God. <laughs> you are washed and cleansed and delivered, not because of your own works, lest you should boast, but because of the delivering work of God. If we cannot trust and worship in the finished work of Jesus, we have no hope. But his salvation is not just a cleansing salvation, it's a filling salvation. I hope you hear this. He's not just cleansing you from your bondage. He is filling you with his very life. He is placing within you his very spirit. You see, the last thing we see is this. Worshiping him is something that is lifelong remembrance. And lifelong following. If you read chapter 12, what you see is a couple of things. Maybe they'll be here. And the Lord said to Moses this. This month is to be for you the first month of your year. You see that? This is to be the first month of your year. What I am about to do is going to change your whole calendar. What I'm about to do is going to change your whole calendar. The year starts now. 
the way you've done all of your calendars up until this point is done. Now, the year starts now. The moment of your deliverance is the moment of your new life. The moment Christ died on the cross, it went from A.D. or B.C. to A.D., right? It went from before Christ to after his death. Christ's sacrifice changed the calendar. The work of deliverance changes your calendar. And it becomes a, before he even did the work, he said, you need to remember this every time you eat. Mark this with a meal. Mark this with a festival. Remember this. Why would he tell them to remember this? Look at what he says here. This is a day you are commemorating for the generations to come shall celebrate it, a festival to the Lord, a lasting ordinance. This is what he tells them before he even delivered them. He says, look, I'm about to do something I don't ever want you to forget. Why? Because this whole thing started when they forgot what Joseph did. They were living in Egypt and there arose a king who forgot Joseph. They forgot there was one who came and delivered them out of a famine. They forgot there was one who came and brought about their deliverance and fed them and walked them through it. They forgot who God was and he's going, no, this all started when you forgot who I was and started worshiping other things. Now, before I even do it, I want you to know your calendar is going to change and this is going to be a life long festival. This is going to be a continuing ordinance that I want you to pass on from generation to generation to generation to generation. It sounds a lot like on the substitute side, on the, on the, on the substance side of the cross, this is a shadow on the shadow side of the cross. In Christ, who is the substance, this is just a shadow. He sat down with his disciples before he went to the cross and said, this is going to change the calendar, and I want you to have a meal that remembers this, and you pass it on to your kids for generation to generation. Don't forget it. Do this as often as you eat in Remembrance of me. See, worship is not a one-time event. It's a lifelong remembrance and following. What we're entering into as we enter into this new deliverance is we begin to see is what happens is when God delivered them, here is what Moses, here's what Pharaoh did. Pharaoh said, go get Moses and Aaron and get them up. And here's what he did. Remember, he told them, uh, he told them last week, he said, I'm never going to see your face again. And now, all of this judgment and all of this massacre and there's massive wailing that's taking place and a ton of crying. Moses, I mean, Pharaoh cries out and says, go get Moses and Aaron. And he says, up, leave my people, you and the Israelites. Go, I want you to see this word, go what? It's always been a worship issue. It's always been a worship issue. 
Go worship the Lord as you have requested. Take your flocks. Remember he said, you ain't taking nothing. Take your flocks. Take your herds. Also, pray for me. Bless me. And the Egyptians urged the people to hurry and leave the country, for otherwise they said, we will die. Church, you have to see that this has always been a worship issue. This has always been a worship issue. From the very beginning, they were worshiping other gods and following other gods. And what those other gods led them into was seeking their own comfort and making themselves their own gods. Going after their own pleasures and desires. It was making them the lord of their land. And what it led to is oppression and slavery and bondage. And when God comes to deliver, not only is he bringing his people out, he's crushing the gods that have opposed him. And all they wanted to do was worship their own God. They wanted to worship the one and true God. And Pharaoh said, why would I let you go worship your God? You got work to do for me. Worship is going to take you away from your work. Worship is going to take you away from you doing what your purpose is in this land to fulfill all of this work that needs to be done. And he goes, no, you're not going to do it. And God goes, yes, they are. They're going to be freed because freedom is not just about leaving Egypt. It's about entering into the worship you've always been called into. Because you will not find true freedom while you continue to worship other gods. Because true worship, true freedom, true life comes when you worship the only one who is truly worthy of all of our worship, all of our adoration. You see, Jesus comes as our substitute He's the firstborn son of God, but he's also the lamb of God. All the shadows and all of the images that you see in Exodus are all fulfilled in Jesus. In this new covenant reality where we see Exodus through the lens of the cross, we see all of its shadows. And we see that it is all pointing to this true Messiah who will come and will do this finished work once and for all, but the only way we are going to be able to see it is if we realize it doesn't come through you trying to ascend to him with critique and understanding. It only comes as Jesus is revealed to you. What you need is a revelation of who God is. What you need is to see in the person of Jesus your perfect sacrifice who shed his blood for you, who finished the work, the one 
who is delivering us out of bondage and cleansing us, that we are covered and cleansed by his blood. But as we eat of this unleavened bread, he is also removing from us our idolatrous worship of the Egypt that is in us. But the reason we continue to come to this table together is we come as worshipers, if we're honest. There are many things God does that we don't understand we trust. Maybe that's just me. There are so many times I look at God and say, I don't understand what you're doing. But I trust you. I trust you. I don't get it. But I trust you. Have any of you been in a place in your life where it's been so dark you don't even know what's going on. You've been crying out and praying for a long time, and all of a sudden, the only thing God does is go, trust me. Yeah. Well, I'd rather understand. <laughs> if you don't mind, I'd rather understand. <laughs> trust me. Worship me. Follow me. The worshiper has something so deeply rooted in them that they can't even look at their own life because if they do, isn't it amazing that the God who is delivering them from Egypt not only tells of the oppression of Egypt but tells of the doubt and complaint of Israel? He doesn't make Israel look like amazing, right? He makes himself look really, really great. Because the truth is, they are not marked by this strong, like, yeah, we're going to deliver ourselves. They are marked by this grace that is given to them. We, if we're honest, are filled with doubt and fear and struggle. We wonder if God is going to be able to do it, although we may have seen him do it over and over and over and over and over again. We still wonder, can you do it again this time, God? And then once he does it, and then something else goes on, we go, I thought it was over with. I thought I'd never have to face this again. I thought I'd never feel it. If it was really done, I would never see it again. He goes, do you trust me still? Trust me again? If I did it once, I could do it again. Church, this has always been a worship issue. That as we come to the table and we grab this cup, we are centering ourselves around the substance of all of these shadows, the person of Christ. We are remembering him as our sacrifice. We are remembering his body and blood. We are remembering that we can trust him and that his work for us, his work of deliverance is our only hope. We're remembering his love and his grace and his power. We're coming to the table, church, as worshipers, hungry and thirsty for him. And then right after that, we launch into singing. We do this every week. And you're like, that, sound, that seems a little monotonous. Why do we do the same thing every week? Because we're supposed to do it as often as we get together. 
Because somewhere along the line this week, you may have forgotten. I know I did. And he is so good to remind us of this, and we launch into singing. And here would be my call to us today. Is that as we come to the table, we come as worshipers, and that this act of love and kindness towards us and deliverance of us would launch us into songs of worship and adoration of him. I want this church to be marked as a place of prayer and worship. A people who are so thankful for all that God has done for them. A people who have Experience true bondage and true oppression. People who have oppressed others. A people who have done so many horrific things. A people who know that if it wasn't for the blood of Christ, if it wasn't for his work on the cross, if it wasn't for his substitute work for me, his temptation was my temptation. His death was my death. When he died, I died. His resurrection is my resurrection. Without Jesus as my substitute, as my work, without his blood washing me and cleansing me, without his deliverance, without him committed to me to bring us, his people, out of bondage and into this thing, we would have no hope. Without the power of his word, without the power of his blood, without the hope of his spirit, we have nothing. You know where that leaves us? Worshippers. Worshippers. My whole life is to worship and adore, to reflect him in this world. So here's what we're going to do as the band begins to play. We're going to come to this table. And we're going to partake of communion. And what happens when you come to this table is you're acknowledging this. It's only because of your body and your blood broken for me that I have received true life and deliverance. It's only because of your death that I have died with you. It's only because of your resurrection that I get to experience this resurrected life. It's only because of you that we, the people of God, get to be brought out and brought into and we remember here's how we remember we remember as a people who he's done it for and here's what the enemy's going to try to do he's going to try to whisper into your ear well you haven't done enough you complain too much You've doubted. You fear. You're filled with anxiety. You're, you worshiped other things. There's all of these condemning voices that would say, 
you haven't done enough. And, and, and I want you to hear this. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Why? Because you're in Him. It's not because of your works, lest you should boast. The only reason you can come to this table is because you have feasted on the Lamb. He has invited you in. Come with a soft heart. Come with all of your fears and worries. Come with all of your doubts and complaints. Come and drink deeply of your only hope in Christ. And then right after that, I'm going to come back up and call us into a time of worship. Because here's what I want us to do. I want us today to end this time with the loudest songs of praise to the only one who is deserving. Can you say amen to that? The tables are open. Let's come and drink deeply in this body. This podcast was recorded at Redemption Alhambra Village in Phoenix, Arizona. For more information about Redemption Alhambra Village, visit redemptionaz.com.